The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio. The following sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Good afternoon. As Eric mentioned, my name is Alan Silverberg. I am Danish. Married to uh, Jenny, who's um, from Malaysia, so I hope you guys can get to meet her later. She's up in the nursery right now. Um, today, we're going to hear um, a parable that's called the Shrewd Manager. And um, the main message I want to uh, share with you is that um, with your money, with our money, we should be generous, we should serve God, and we should keep our eyes on our heavenly treasures. So let's uh, start with a prayer. Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you so much for this time with you today, Lord, that we can come and worship you. Um, Father, um, please guide my words today. May they be yours. And uh, may you also open our hearts to uh, the message that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you would uh, allow me a little bit of humor to start out with. Um, at the charity organization in a fairly small town, a volunteer worker noticed that the most successful lawyer in the whole town hadn't given a contribution. And this guy was making $600,000 a year. And the volunteer thought, why not call him up? Ask him if, uh, if he might be willing to, to, uh, to donate. So he calls up the lawyer and says, sir, according to our research, you haven't made a contribution to our charity organization. Would you like to do so now? The lawyer responds, a contribution? Does your research show that I have an invalid mother who requires expensive surgery once a year just to stay alive? The worker is feeling a little bit embarrassed and says, well, no, sir. Um, does your research show that my sister's husband was killed in a car accident? She has three kids and no means of support. The worker is feeling quite embarrassed at this point. I'm terribly sorry. Does your research show that my brother broke his neck on the job and requires full-time nurse just to have any kind of a normal life? The worker is completely humiliated at this point. I'm sorry, sir. Please forgive me. The nerve you people have. I don't give them anything. Why should I give anything to you? There is, there is something about being wealthy that gets to most of us. It's somehow in our nature to seek wealth and lead a good life, isn't it? God knows this, and so do we. And Jesus warns the rich several times throughout the Bible, including the rich man in Matthew 19, verse 16 to 22, if you want to look that up. The rich man who asked Jesus what he had to do to get eternal life. And because he had already kept the commandments, Jesus told him, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And the man turned away sad because he had great wealth, it says. And in the parable of the rich fool in Luke, Chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. 
Jesus warned against greed and having an abundance of wealth. A man's abundant harvest made him rich, and he decided to store it all up for himself, to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God then commanded his life, demanded his life from him because he was being selfish and his wealth uh, and, and not rich towards God. Pastor Greg Laurie states in an article titled Money and Motives that 15% of everything that Jesus ever taught was on the topic of money and possessions. It was more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. He also said that while the Bible offers 500 verses on prayer and less than 500 verses on faith, it offers more than 2,000 words on money. So God knows the effect wealth has on us and warns us not to fall into the trap of making wealth and possessions be our goal because it seems that the more we have, the less inclined we will be to share it with others and follow him. So what does it mean to be generous? Tim Cook, Apple CEO, earlier this year in March, announced that he would give away his $785 million fortune to charity. And he joins the club of even bigger charity givers, such as Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, Bill Gates of uh, Microsoft, Warren Buffett, um, Larry Ellison of Oracle, um, and they have pledged publicly to donate half of their fortunes to, um, to charity. So is that the best argument, uh, the best um, um, definition of generosity? I would argue not, because even after giving half of their fortunes away, they still have more that they can ever spend or their children can ever spend or their grandchildren can hope to spend. Several American studies have pointed out to the inverted correlation between wealth and generosity and also the fact that religious people tend to give more, a greater share of their earnings to, generos to um, charity. But I think one story of Tammy Phillips uh, of a Los Angeles charity serving homeless people pointed it out well. She credited gifts from low to moderate income uh, people for helping sustain its program during the recession in 2008 to 2010. And she said, for those with low to moderate income, serving the homeless was closer to home, that they too, any day, could become homeless too. So there is a human tendency to be less generous the richer we get, and that can even prevent us from entering God's kingdom. So like me, you might think, am I rich? Am I generous enough? Or is my money more important? To me than God is? Am I thinking of my wealth as something which belongs to me or to God? What should be my attitude towards wealth if I want to follow Jesus? So my, in my own uh, world, I grew up in Denmark, as I mentioned. Well, I mentioned I was Danish. I didn't mention the other thing, but I did. And Denmark is a wealthy country. Uh, we don't see a lot of poverty here. Um, we generally can expect a pretty good life, I have to say. Um, education and society's pressure is, uh, is on us and has been on me to make something of ourselves and, and, and do something good and, and yeah, profit from what, has, what our ancestors have built up in this society. And uh, I also grew up in an atheist family. So to us, there was not so much uh, others to think about than our own 
ourselves and our families. So for me, it all started with the coin box, you know, as a kid, and you were setting up as uh, for your next toy and things that you wanted to do. Um, or, you know, saving up for that uh, travel around the world that uh, I was going to do when I was 18. Or, and also today, it carries into my life today that uh, now I have a job and I'm putting aside money for my old age because it's what I've been taught to do my whole life. So I do feel it, the difficulty of following God's calling, to be like the bird that does not store away its food and um, trusts God to feed it. I think we all can relate to that. So we do, and I do, make excuses not to give more to charity because I'm already setting some aside for myself and my family. So this is pretty much what the parable is about. And uh, what I will do now is I will read the parable for us, and then I will explain a few things that I learned while I was studying it. And then I will suggest us three principles to keep us right on the money. So, uh, if you open your Bibles in Luke chapter 16, then you'll find the shrewd manager, or the parable of it at least. It was in Luke chapter 16, if you have your Bibles along, or your smartphones, which I also tend to use sometimes, I'll read it aloud for us. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each one of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. I'll read that again because that's important. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest uh, and with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So now that we have read the parable, let me explain some things that I learned while trying to understand it, because of all the parables Jesus taught, the parable of the shrewd manager is the most puzzling. For that reason, numerous interpretations have been given, and each one tries to explain it in an ethical, uh, and its ethical implications. 
The difficulty which con confronts many readers is that um, the parable is placed within a Jewish setting and reflects, reflects Jewish practices. The setting with all its point must be reconstructed in order to gain a clear picture and understand the teachings of the parable. And for a non-native English speaker like myself, another challenge was to correctly understand the word shrewd. Because for me, shrewd had a negative um, ring over it. I, to me, it was something that was cunning, a little bit stealing, not, not you know, fully you know, um, honest. But according to the Mary, Merriam-Webster dictionary, um, shrewd actually means smart or clever. So it's more a positive thing. So let's take a look at the setting. Repeatedly, God commanded the Israelites not to charge his fellow um, men interest on money, food, or anything else that could earn interest. It said, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like the moneylender. You will find that in Exodus, for instance, or in Leviticus, or in Deuteronomy. God taught people social responsibility and forbade usury, which is also another word for saying lending money at high interest. The implication was that the one who charges such high interest was to be considered a robber and could be brought to court. Human nature being what it is, practices developed in the course of time which aimed at circumventing God's commandments. For example, rich people would appoint a trustworthy person as a manager who would be given full power to act in the name of the master. He was responsible to his master, but should he resort to usury or lending at high interest, not the master, but the manager could be brought to trial. At all times, a rich person stood to gain from the, you can say, criminal transactions his manager had negotiated. Should such transactions be contested in court, the rich master would go free and the manager had to take full responsibility. The manager, however, was given ways to protect himself, which even the Pharisees and the teachers of the law condoned. The manager and the borrower drew up a statement in which the debt and interest were listed as one figure, in one total figure, I should say. According to the religious leaders, the following note was considered unlawful, and he who practiced it could be brought to court. For, his, for example, I will pay Reuben 10 core of wheat on the first day of Nisan, and if I do not, I will pay four core of wheat annually in addition. So a clear um, mark of interest. But the following note was considered legal. I owe Reuben 14 core of wheat, even if it did not say that the borrower had only borrowed 10. So in this way, the interest was hidden since it was added to the principal sum. And the borrower would have to pay the full amount even though he had received a considerably smaller amount. The bond note itself did not provide any details. Interest rates for borrowed wheat could go as high as 20%, with an additional 5% for insurance against price fluctuations and depreciation of the value of the product. If the commodity happened to be olive oil, the interest rate was as high as 80% plus 20% insurance, totaling 100%. The risk in lending olive oil was great. Olive crops were rather unpredictable, and the quality of the olive oil and, uh, and quality of the olives, sorry, because of the, the size, yeah, um, 
because of the size and the quality of the olives, it varies from year to year. So also, cheap olives, uh, cheap oils extracted from other sources could be added, uh, and it was difficult to detect if the, the, there was some tricks done with the, the uh, olive oil. So a manager was given a position of trust and confidence, and he controlled his master's assets and was considered a member of the master's household. He represented the master and was given full authority to deal with debtors as he saw fit. Debtors, therefore, had to abide, um, sorry, uh, had to abide by the stipulations laid down by the manager. They were responsible to him alone. So should the manager exhibit incompetence and untrustworthiness, the master would summon him to give an account and, and afterwards dismiss him. The manager had no recourse to outside help. He would have to leave his master's employee with no possessions of his own, and he would not be welcomed by his colleagues. So Jesus related to a story which could very well actually have occurred, of one such rich man who had appointed a manager to look after his business. He had placed complete confidence in the manager. But when he learned that the manager was wasting his possessions, he called him in and told him to get his books audited and to find other employment. The manager knew that the charges brought against him were true, that he had abused the manager's trust and that he could not plead for mercy. He knew that a successor would take his place. What did the future hold for this manager? He had to depend on his own ingenuity. He was not physically strong enough to do any manual work or begging. That was out of the question. He talked to himself considering the possibilities and alternatives and he got it. He knew what to do. He would make his master's debtors indebted to him so that upon his dismissal, they would welcome him into their homes. He called in the debtors one by one and the two examples are given. The first came and the manager asked him how much he owed the master. He answered 100 measures of oil. So that's a pretty big amount. That's about 4,000 liters of oil. One olive tree bears about 120 kilograms of olives or about 25 liters of oil. So if you want to have 4,000 liters, you've got to have an orchard with 150 trees. So that's a pretty big amount. The manager told the debtor to take the bill which stated the amount owed and reduce it by half. And the next debtor was asked the same question, how much do you owe? And his answer was 100 measures of wheat. This is the equivalent of 1,000 bushels, which corresponds to about what 100 acres yielded in a day, in that day. Not in a day, in that day. The manager told him to take his bill and reduce the amount by 20 measures. In both instances, large sums of money were involved. Yet on the authority of the manager, who already received notice of dismissal, they changed the amounts on the bills. So in short, because the usurious high interest rates were lifted, honesty prevailed. So when the manager presented the books to his master, who subsequently learned about the altered transactions, he was praised because he had acted cleverly. The manager was in control of the situation not the master. Words of praise were conveyed by the master because the manager had assured himself the hospitality and generosity of the debtors and then paved the way for his successor by removing any ill will on the part of the debtors. 
and he had given his master an opportunity to praise him for removing the, uh, the high interest rates and to show himself as a religious law-abiding citizen. The manager must have uh, placed the master in a most favorable light if the master was to have spoken words of praise towards him. So the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted cleverly. So the word dishonest cannot apply really to the, to the manager's actions um, here because then the, word, the, the words that come afterwards because he had acted cleverly would not, would not uh, be, contra it would be contradictory. So instead the word dishonest characterizes the manager's earlier life, his squandering of the master's possessions. So if you consider Jesus' parable of the persistent widow, she kept coming to this judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. Jesus characterized him as an unjust judge because he had established a reputation for being unjust. Yet when he spoke justice in behalf of the widow who persisted with her plea, he certainly did not do her injustice. So likewise, the manager here because of his previous shady deals, is called dishonest. Even though the instructions he later gave to the debtors was considered honorable and praiseworthy in the eyes of the public. The master could not go to the debtors and apply the high interest rates earlier transacted by the manager. For then he, would be, he himself would be the usurer, the criminal, and he would be brought to justice. So the, man, the master praised the manager for his cleverness. So what precisely was Jesus teaching through this parable? The story of the dishonest manager, clarified in the light of the original Jewish setting, still conveys a message which is relevant today. Jesus summed it up in a rather comprehensive statement saying, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The point of the parable is that the manager who had gained a reputation for being dishonest and who realized that his future was at stake sought approval by being honest and charitable, charitable to his master's debtors. He did not cling to worldly possessions or to worldly health but he generously, wealth, sorry, but he generously gave it to those who were indebted to his master. Nevertheless, the money which he liberally gave to the debtors was not his, and in a sense you could say it wasn't even the master's money. Likewise, the people of the light should not set their heart on worldly possessions. They can afford to be generous and give some of their assets away, because in the end, it's not our money, it's God's money. So when we donate money to the poor, we are redistributing the wealth God has entrusted to us. And Jesus put the same truth in these words in Matthew 6, chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus taught finds its root in many forms and ways in the teachings of the Old Testament. For example, the one that we read uh, for the offering, um, 
from 1 Chronicles 29:14, where David in the presence of God's people prayed, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have, been give, and we have given only from what, from what comes from you, from your hand. So by means of the parable of the clever, we call him manager instead of shrewd, Jesus teaches his followers, his followers to give their money away as much as possible so that they may gain favor and be welcome to live in his house eternally. A point of contrast, though it's not expressed, is implied here. Indirectly, Jesus says the dishonest manager, by reducing the amounts his master's debtors owed, looked to the future. How much more should God's people, we, share uh, our possessions and look towards our eternal home? God's people must use their earthly possessions for spiritual investment, just as worldly people use their money to obtain material gains. So the time comes when money is a thing of the past. When death comes, man's spirit returns to God. Who gave it? God welcomes all his people who have not set their hearts on earthly treasures, but have gathered treasures in heaven. The people of the world know how to use worldly possessions and apply it in materialistic ways. Suddenly, however, they may abandon dishonest standards and knowing that in the long run, honesty pays. And on the other hand, Christians who have learned that the God standard, God's law, they have learned the standard of God's law, they are often inclined to relax and modify Christian principles. They want the best of both worlds. They want to have Christian faith couched in a comfort of an affluent society. And they also want to be loved by God and at the same time praised by men. So Jesus said the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. If people do not, who do not confess, profess to serve God realize that his standards are fundamental, should not those who profess to be his people uphold the law of God, practice what they preach, and show by word and deed that money will ultimately fail, but heavenly riches will last forever. So what are the main applications for us this week? I want to suggest three principles, as I said, to keep us right on the money. The first principle that I want to suggest is that believers should be like the shrewd manager. They use his money, master's money generously, and use God's money generously towards the need of the poor, so that where our treasure is, our heart will be also. So in Denmark, you do not see a lot of poor people in our streets. And if I have to be honest, on, very often times, I think these people are organized in some sort of cartels and brought up here, smuggled and etc. So, um, hence the opportunities for reaching out to the poor are fewer. But because of the war in, the, in Syria and Iraq and many other places, we are seeing an increased number of refugees coming to Denmark. These are people whose lives have been torn apart and who are starting with very few means to make a new life in Denmark. You might find a family to support in your own neighborhood. For starters, if you want to, you can join us on the 26th this week in front of Christiansborg to reach out to the Danish politicians and say that we welcome these people. So due to our so-called welfare society, 
there are also a great number of socially poor elderly people who could use a friend to talk to and perhaps some help with practical matters. Let us try to keep our eyes open to the needy in our society. So does, does, that, need, does, that, does that mean that now we need to cash in our pension savings and uh, sell all our possessions and, you know, on DBA and, and uh, start to just pour it all away? Well, I believe God does not say wealthy people are not welcome in his kingdom. For he says rich and poor have this in common in Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 2. The Lord is the maker of them all. So what he speaks about then is our attitude and our way of thinking of worldly possessions. So what should our attitude be like? So number one, as I said, we should remember to use God's money generously towards the needs of the poor. And the second principle to keep us right on the money is money is not to become the master of us. You cannot serve both God and money. As Paul wrote to Timothy, who was looking after the church of Ephesus, you'll find that in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So think about your goals in life this week and what your motives are for these. Are you dreaming of a fast car? or that house on a beach. While you're saving up for that, maybe you're passing on opportunities to support the needy. Or perhaps, like me, you may be not allowing God full control of your own old age, savings, etc. And that makes you hold back on investing in God's kingdom today. Perhaps you're a student or a senior citizen. You don't have a lot of means to the end of the month. Think about that lady that came to donate her two last coins. But Jesus said, this lady truly has given more than any of those people that were rich have given. So, can we really cast our human natures aside and learn not to put wealth and earthly possessions higher than serving God and serving the needs of others? If you remember the passage of the rich man in Matthew 19, verse 16. After the man left saddened when he was asked to sell his possessions. It continues in verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus thankfully answered, and he looked at them and said, with, this, with, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So the first two principles were, remember to use God's money generously towards the needs of the poor, and do not let money become the master of us. And the final and third principle to keep us right on the money is to look to the future. Just like the manager in the, in the um, um, story we just heard, prepare for the future judgment by practical generosity in the present. Keep your eyes focused on your heavenly 
treasures. What if tomorrow never came? What if, like Eric was preaching last week, that it's sooner than we think, right? That God ends the world. Would God find us prepared? What if one of us or you became terminally ill with only little time left? How would you live your life then? In Proverbs 14.31, it says, Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So I think our best example is to look at Jesus himself, and he sought time. He sought to spend time with the poor and the needy, those who lived on the edge of the society. I personally draw from a, an example of a good friend close friend who uh, saw a poor old lady come into our very church one day after the church service. And uh, she was obviously begging. And when he did not have any money to give her, he instead grabbed her hands and began praying for her and for her children. And as the tears began to run down her cheek, I realized this was an important lesson to me in how to care for the need in ways that are not only material. In conclusion, to sum it up, the parable of the shrewd manager teaches those who follow Christ to be generous with God's money, to never let money become our master by serving God alone, and to keep our eyes on the future glory that can never compare to any material possessions on earth. So, with your money, be generous, serve God, and keep your eyes on your heavenly treasures. Let's pray. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC. CPH. Thank you for listening.